Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox. I am your social worker with the microphone. How are you this morning? You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio on The Catherine Zox Show. It's The Catherine Zox Show. I have two guests this morning. Two very important guests. My first guest is already here, Dr. Douglas Peridnia. told me it's pronounced like California, but I'm going to try. Um, author of a new book called Overhauling America's Healthcare Machine, Stop the Bleeding and Save Trillions, of course. Uh, just get rid of all the waste and all the stuff, and uh, we'll have a, a good healthcare system, I guess. Anyway, we as we said a little bit earlier on the show, I was talking to Dr. Peridnia, and he said, well, hopefully Congress is listening to us because we want to solve this problem in half an hour. We have a half an hour to do this. So we're going to be talking about his book. Um, my second guest is Heather Goodenkoff, and she's the author. It's a novel called These Things Hidden, but it's uh, based on a true story, and uh, her main concern is the safe haven laws, the safe haven laws for children, children who, mothers who can't take care of their babies are allowed to bring their babies, and I guess 50 states now, to um, a safe haven, give their babies up, no questions asked. Uh, so those are our two guests. Our first guest, Dr. Douglas Peridnia, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Good morning, Catherine. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure Yeah, very to be interesting here. book. Lots of questions for you. Um, finally, uh, you're William Bernstein, who is the best-selling author of A Splendid Exchange and the Birth of Plenty, says about your book, Finally, a Healthcare System that Works. Overhauling America's Healthcare Machine is a superbly written book on what it takes to reduce administrative bloat, simplify the system, slash costs, and give all Americans sustainable medical and financial security. It sounds great, but... How are we going to do this? I mean, you kind of you outline it in your book step by step. Um, we spend trillions of dollars on stuff and activities in our healthcare system that provide no improvement, no real life improvement for patient care. Is that true? Uh, ab- absolutely. The the uh, uh, basis of the book actually is that uh, um, uh, it's important to look at at reality. <laughs> As opposed to the way people, uh, especially um, uh, folks like politicians and people in think tanks, think about medicine, they often think about it as a manufacturing operation where like an auto industry or uh, making computer chips. And so they'll think in terms of, uh, they'll uh, think and speak in terms of things like quality and waste and utilization and best practices. But uh, um, as if you could twiddle some dials and and get the inputs and outputs that that you desire, but on the ground it really doesn't work that way. Um, Healthcare is a service industry, 
um, that involves interactions between doctors and patients. And uh, unless you understand um, what those interactions are and uh, where they fit into the entire healthcare system, um, it's very difficult to understand where the waste is and where it comes from and and everything else. Um, right. Well, you pinpoint in the book where the waste is coming from because we're spending billions of dollars, right? Yes. You even talk about spending $750 billion, billion per year on paperwork with all this stuff. That's right. Uh, so, <laughs> let's kind of, I want to get the argument down because our listeners are not necessarily Congress or professionals or doctors or people in the healthcare system, but just the average person. Right. Like, what does this mean for us? What you know, where, where, how do we rectify this problem of spending billions of dollars and wasted of billions of dollars? And how does that fit into the kind of health care that we're going to get as as ordinary citizens? Right. Um, uh, it, it's it's interesting if you look at um, the differences between the U.S. health care system and other health care systems. We spend about twice as much on health care per capita as um, the developed countries as a whole. Uh, we spend about $7,000 per person per year uh, in the U.S. compared to about $3,000 per person per year overseas. And the question is, um, uh, if you want to identify the waste, the question is what accounts for the difference in all the spending? And so if you look at the actual utilization of physical resources, um, in other words, uh, the numbers of doctors, the number, the amount of drugs we use and everything else, it's not that different between uh, other developed countries in the United States. We use a, a few more brand-name drugs uh, than they do overseas, but... Um, and uh, um, uh, we actually utilize fewer days of hospitalization um, than, than are done in other developed countries. But where the big difference is, um, is that everything we uh, use costs between four and seven times more here than it does in other developed countries. But physician incomes are only slightly higher than they are in other countries, and in fact, they've been falling in real inflation-adjusted terms for um, for roughly 15 years now. So the question comes up: What happens to all the rest of the money if we're spending enormous amounts here compared with elsewhere, but it's not accounted for by um, uh, by the people who actually provide the care? And the answer is: uh, It's hard to believe, but. It's all um, accounted for by what's politely called administrative overhead expense, and um, as you so say, so what that, is that's administrative a, overhead expense? Uh, that's it? that's a good question. That's an excellent question, and what that is, it's all the all the work and all the effort that goes into uh, billing, um, payment, and complying with rules and regulations. Um, and uh, it also it also applies to things like uh, technologies that we're we're implementing by uh, force of law, like electronic medical records and things like that, which don't actually provide healthcare services, but they account for a lot of new costs and a lot of extra time that's uh, uh, that's being uh, spent. So let me just give you an example. In 1968 there were about 500,000 doctors in the United States and 750,000 people who were employed in healthcare management and administrative support. 
So it's a ratio of about 1.5 to 1 in terms of administrators to doctors. Um, now there are 5.7 administrators for every doctor. And uh, that, that comes to about 5 million administrators for 820,000 doctors. And every one of those people, um, whether they're, they're billers or people who comply with rules or regulations or people who simply keep track of doctors and try to, to um, get them to do different things, they all have salaries. <laughs> and they all uh, end up spending an enormous amount of time uh, simply, simply um, looking at things, uh, but they don't actually provide any services. And every one of their salaries gets factored into your insurance premiums. And, and that's really the bottom line, is that when you talk about the growth in Medicare and the growth in your insurance premiums, um, it's not going to doctors. It's not going to drug companies. Drug companies are actually um, uh, earning uh, less money every year. Um, it's going to all of these other functions. The average doctor now spends about four hours a week uh, doing nothing but insurance-related paperwork. So in That's, other words, doctor, you're saying, or this is what I hear you saying, that all of these monies going to the over, this kind of bureaucratic overhead of actually running a business. These doctors are running a business, but they're not running them well because you have all these administrative costs that are, and you know, when you multiply that by millions, we are spending trillions of dollars, wasted money. Um, one out of every three dollars Americans allocate, you say this in the book, to health care each year is spent on bureaucracy. Yep. Um, so what is it? We're not running a good health care business? That's what you're saying? Well, it, it's, it's not a matter of the businesses that doctors are running necessarily, but, but the federal government uh, and insurance companies and, and actually state governments have, have uh, been trying to, well, they have been, in fact, increasingly micromanaging everything associated with health care. Um, it's, it's a very much, in fact, Medicare, uh, ironically, is very much like the old system that the Soviet Union used to run where everything Medicare does is set on, on fixed prices that are dictated by the government. So Medicare says, for this, we're going to pay this. It doesn't matter what your expenses are. It doesn't matter what your charges are um, for, for, let's say, a, 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 uh, for taking out a gallbladder. You're going to get $342.67 and... We've decided that based on really nothing. Um, and it turns out that when you have um, uh, hundreds of thousands of people setting every price, dictating every term, uh, having to um, have people cross their I's and dot their T's uh, everywhere you turn, it ends up costing a lot of money. Um, here, here's here's a, a brand new example as of January 1st. This, is, this has never occurred before. Medicare decided that for no particular reason, every doctor has to sign personally every lab form that's created um, to order a lab for every patient. There's, and, and Medicare's justification for this was that um, it would cause less confusion. Now, why? It's not really clear. Medicare has had a policy for 
decades, literally decades, that there was no reason for doctors to actually personally sign every form that they use to order a laboratory on you. But now what that means for the average doctor is that that's an extra 10 minutes a day. (laughs) 10 minutes a day, which adds up to a full work week per year doing nothing but signing lab forms instead of taking care of patients. So is that why we only have 15 minutes with our doctors when we go for an appointment? And it's going down every year. <laughs> yeah. So that's that not we, we, that's not good medicine. I mean No. <laughs> that's not, not. Uh, I mean you can't practice good medicine if you see a patient for 10 minutes. Absolutely um not. and yeah. So I think most people agree with that. But what's the reason for having I I'm still not clear why doctors are going to have to be signing these lab reports. Is that because well doctors also ordered to me too many there are too many tests that uh, this is another piece of it. They ordered, I think, more tests than we need because they spend less time with their patients. So they kind of, you know, tests and labs and all those kinds of things, which are costly, which take time. It could take more time now. They have to sign their names to the whole thing. Uh, Rather than just seeing the patient and and being able to make a diagnosis based on being with your patient, talking to your patient. Uh, And that's because, as I've talked to many physicians, one of the reasons they say is, because they're afraid they're going to get sued, so they have to like justify all of this stuff. That, that they do. That's true. That is absolutely true. That's the not other, medicine the other either. Thing that I don't know if your your doctor uses an electronic medical record, um, but everything now is box checking. <laughs> and uh, in fact, in, in and in Britain, where they've had this problem, they've had socialized medicine for donkey's years, and. And it's becoming many of the same problems that we're having here now have been in the, the same problems that Britain's been having for years. They call it box ticking, actually. And um, uh, what, what you'll find doctors doing with their new electronic medical records when they're supposed to be providing better care and, and higher quality care and stuff like that, you're filling out forms. You're, you're, you're saying, oh yes, okay, I need to check this box and this box and this box and this box because if I don't check these boxes, then I'm not going to get paid or I'll be accused of fraud uh, by the government. Or if I don't check these boxes and I don't order the CT scan, you're absolutely right, um, there's a chance that I will be sued um, and therefore I need to uh, uh, cover, my, um, uh, cover my bottom um, and, and order these tests, otherwise I have a, a very good chance of, um, of losing my house and everything I own. So, um, yeah, so it all focus, adds up. And, we're going to take and, a short break. Sure. Uh, the focus is really not on health care. It's about covering your ass, and yes. I'm going to say this. And it's, about, it's all about uh, government bureaucracy. I mean, we've stated, the, I think, the problem quite well in this first part of the show. And next... We're going to talk about how you how you solve these problems. Okay, we've got the problems, but now what do you do about it? And you have some you have some pretty good solutions. We're talking to Dr. Paradina, Dr. Douglas Paradina, overhauling America's healthcare machine. Don't go away. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. We'll be back in a minute. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. 
you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. My guest this morning is Dr. Douglas A. Paradinia, uh, MD, author of Overhauling America's Healthcare Machine, Stop the Bleeding and Save Trillions, if you're just joining us. He's a medical internist and a dermatologist. We didn't uh, mention that in the beginning of the show, who has been a clinician, healthcare researcher, entrepreneur, and employer. So he's done a lot of different kinds of things. Um, and now he's focusing his medical attention on the American healthcare system and says to simplify, simplify, simplify. Our healthcare system is burdened, and this is what we, doctor and I, have been talking about with an, a level of administrative overhead <clears throat> and economic mismanagement that is unprecedented in human history. This is the cost $750 billion annually and employing over 5 million full time employees. So we're restating the, pro- the, the problem, doctor, but. Now, what is the solution? What are the solutions to this? It seems overwhelming. It is. Uh, the, uh, the, the first solution, rule number one, if you're in a hole, stop digging. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's, that, seems, that seems very simple, but the, boy, that seems to be a hard problem for, our, uh, for our, uh, uh, the folks in Washington to get around. So, for, for example, we'd mentioned this problem with Medicare installing a brand new rule that says their doctors have to sign every lab form that they create um, after Medicare has spent 20 years saying, no, you don't, no, you don't, now you do uh, for no particular reason. Well, <clears throat> you know what? If that's going to cost doctors an additional week per year of their time just to sign these lab forms, don't have them sign the lab forms. Okay, but that's the problem. I think that you've stated that very clearly, but what's the solution? Because Medicare just is just requiring it this. It seems like we're getting more, to put it to simplify it for us lay people, it's just getting more and more complicated rather than less complicated. Well, you, know, you say stop digging the hole. It seems like we're digging the hole deeper. So, <laughs> so how do you reverse that? I mean, what, what can we do? 
Uh, well, the first thing I guess you can do is you can uh, uh, um, uh, make sure that your representatives know that you're not happy with the way the health care system is working. And I wish I could say that the new Affordable Care Act is going to make things better, but in fact, it's going to make things worse. It calls this for Obama, 168, what was, it's popularly known as Obamacare, yes. Um, it, it calls for 168 brand new federal uh, agencies and programs that uh, that will regulate health care even more. Um, but there are some very simple things that, that, that Congress could do. Um, right now, for example, um, we talk about safety and effectiveness in, um, in, in health care. You can't sell a drug unless it's safe and effective. Why is it that you can promulgate a rule or a regulation that has no evidence that it's safe or effective? So, for example, there are these things called uh, quality uh, programs that um, that are becoming very popular. Uh, something called pay for performance, for example, where where Medicare or insurance companies will say, "Doctor, we are going to pay you more, uh, or we are going to cut your salary, uh, cut your payments, unless you get a particular test on every patient." Um, so, uh, with patients with diabetes, for example, one of the the, the guidelines that uh, the, the government is using is that you have to get, you have to test their urine for protein um, every year. Well, it turns out there was a study that was done in which they took a bunch of doctors who were, who were pretty much experts in taking care of diabetics and voluntarily enrolled them in a study to have them care for patients, and it turns out 46% of the time they did not check their urine for protein. And the reason is not because they're bad doctors or they want to harm their patient, but because there was no need to. It was inappropriate, and they were trying to save money. But if the government says, you must do this in order to be paid, then people will do it. So are you so saying what we, we need, need to, to do is get rid of the government and health care? Or get well, as much we need as to get rid of government they... micromanagement. Um, if, you're not, if you're not a doctor... Um, then you have no business dictating what doctors need to do with their patients. And um, that should be a pretty easy thing to do. All you do is you say, hey, no regulations unless you have um, no more regulations and, no, and you're going to get rid of existing regulations unless you have actual proof that this regulation is going to create more benefits than it does costs. Um, we do that all the time. Another thing, and probably the simplest thing Congress could do overnight, is that um, the back in uh, the late 1980s, um, the Medicare invented a completely new way of billing out of thin air. What they basically did was they they said, "Tell you what, we're going to pay people according to an amazingly complex formula." Um, based upon the amount of time something takes and how much work it takes in terms of thought and how much work it takes physically and where you're located in the country and everything else. It's actually called the resource-based relative value system. And, and the fact that the name is that long tells you about how complicated it is. And um, uh, it actually um, is responsible for doctors having to pay about 15% of their gross revenue, the total amount they earn, in order to figure out how to bill for their services. Uh, so? I, I want to interrupt you here, Doctor, because sure. I think it seems to me that we're kind of in a, and, and maybe I'm oversimplifying, but 
we're kind of in a transition period, mm-hmm. and I think when everything, getting back to this, like, electronic records, and, and I think, don't you think that, and, and we spend so much money on paperwork and employees, you know, filling out paperwork and doctors filling out paperwork, I think when everything becomes electro- electronic, I mean, that's going to save billions of dollars, and that's kind of in transition. If you go to a doctor, say, my age, baby boomer, older, and you see him struggling with his computer trying to figure out how he can, you know, he's, uh, I, I know that's true of my physicians who really don't know how to use their computers in a way that are cost-efficient for their patients, you know, like looking up, um, you know, the medications that you've been taking or, look, you know, having the information about the other doctors that you've been to and all of those kinds. I mean, that's beginning to happen, and it's all computerized. If you go uh-huh. to a younger doctor... 20 to 40, not 20, but say in his 40s, uh-huh. um, they're able to do this. They do it quickly, fast, efficiently. That's all changing, I think. And I think that's going to also uh, solve some of this bureaucratic, as you say, you know, uh, spending on paperwork. Ironically, no. <laughs> in fact, in fact there's, a, there's an old saying that to err is human, but to foul things up, you really need a computer. Um, and it turns out that doctors who use computers are slower and less efficient than doctors who don't use computers. See, I um, don't. That I have, and and this comes from where? Which doctors? I mean, this is. Oh, oh, oh there, 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 there are all kinds of studies, and in fact, there's a, a brand new study that was just came out last month that looked at virtually every study that's ever been done of computerized uh, order entry and electronic medical record systems. And they found absolutely no evidence of any benefit, either medical or economic. What about uh, the doctors, though? Who are they studying? Are they studying doctors who are like 50-plus? Probably. Oh, it, 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 it does not matter. <laughs> the, the problem is that, is, is that um, the software and the systems that, you, that get used are, are not user-friendly, um, they're they're not necessarily even safe or effective. There there's now an entire branch of medicine called iatrogenesis, and that and iatrogenesis are um, is uh, the concept of 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 medicine uh, or healthcare making you sick. And there are there's a now whole whole study of iatrogenesis, which is electronic medical information systems making things worse rather than better. Well, I can get into anecdotal, and we could go on because we only have a couple more minutes. But this is this is purely anecdotal. But I go to a doctor who's probably sixty years old, and I am telling you, he can't remember. He doesn't have information from the other physicians that I've been to. He doesn't have the information. He and, and he's asking me to remember, you know, when the last time I had a shot or this medication. It's not very efficient. I have right. a friend who goes to a cardiologist who is absolutely everything is electronic. He sits there. He has all the information in terms of updated information in terms of her, where she's been, what physician she's seen, what medication she's taking. He doesn't have to ask all those questions. And first of all, patients aren't really good at reporting, you know, what uh, reporting either their medications or, or symptoms or all those kinds of things. So completely, to me, much more efficient than the kind of, Healthcare or medical care that I'm getting. I mean, that's just uh, anecdotal, but uh, that, that, that's 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 the problem. Um, um, if if you look at it anecdotally, you'll find some practices in which it's helpful, and many practices in which it's not. Uh, and for example, none of these computer systems talk to one another. So even if you have another doctor 
who has the same computer system unless they are specifically tied in to the other doctor's office, which costs extra money and has to and, and uh, takes a lot of programming time and effort, those computers still can't share records. So don't we need to update? Wouldn't this be part of the solution to update the system, update the, get the IT system so that they are all connected, that that would be the thing to do? We, well, in fact, we need to simplify the systems. Um, many IT systems that are currently deployed are way too complex for the functions they need to fulfill. And if you actually had a simple system whereby you took all of the paper records that everyone generates and scan them in and make them available um, via an electronic image to any doctor with any computer anywhere, you would get 99% of the functionality that you're talking about in terms of having the records when you need them and where you need them at perhaps a tenth of the expense of what we're currently spending to try to do the same thing. And, and this is what I mean by simplify. There, there's IT, there's information technology, and there's IT done well. And just like there are rules and regulations, and there are rules and regulations done well. And by simplifying things, we can actually get a, a, a lot more bang for our buck and eliminate a lot of the expenses that we're talking about. So in the couple minutes left, Doctor, what, what, what kind of advice would you give to, to us, the consumer? Um, uh, the, the first thing probably is to, um, uh, um, well, as, as consumers, um, the way we have the existing healthcare system, you probably need to question everything. And to, uh, I do. And to, I question it just like I'm questioning you. I question my. They don't. They nobody likes me. <laughs> my doctors I'm don't sure like me because true. I'm always questioning. But but for example, um, uh, insurance companies uh, make it their business to make things so difficult and complicated that basically everyone goes away. That's part of the part of the problem and part of their job. They make money by not paying claims, and so and so if you've got uh, an insurance company that tells you, okay, well, you've got to follow this rule and this rule and this rule to do this, this, and this. That's part of the problem. And you need to tell your your representatives that you want everything simpler. Okay, so um, yep, and we're going to say goodbye on that one because it's simplify, 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 whether you're dealing with the government, your insurance carrier, your doctor. Uh, I guess that's that, that's the mantra. The name of the book is Overhauling America's Healthcare Machine. Stop the bleeding and save trillions. Go buy the book. Lots of interesting stuff. Some of it we covered today, some we didn't. Dr. Douglas A. Karinia, MD, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah. Coming up next, we have Heather Goodenkopf. She's author of These Hidden Things. Um, don't go away because we'll be back in a minute. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis. 
deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. I am Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and it's voiceamericavariety.com, World Talk Radio. My next guest is Heather Goodendorf. She's an author. Her new book, These Things Hidden. She's a New York, new York Times bestselling author. Um, and in her her new book, um, she these things hidden um, has been described as an absorbing dramatic work. She tells the story of three families who are united by a chilling secret the night two babies are born. So, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Heather. It's great to be here. Yes, and I assume this is also going to be a New York Times best-selling book. And actually, it is. It's it uh, is number sixteen uh, this week of the New great. York Times. Fantastic! Congratulations! Yeah, thank well, you. Yeah, to have you on the show. Okay, now this is a novel, but this is also connected to some real life events, which we're going to talk about also because uh, some of your work with um, Safe Haven, the Safe Haven laws. I want to talk about. You're an advocate of the Safe Haven laws, and uh, this is related somewhat to the obviously to your story. Um, and I want to tell everyone you also can go to heathergoodenkoff.com. Um, I guess this morning these two last names <laughs> has been a real challenge, I can yeah. tell you, Heather. Um, but it's Heather and it's G-U-D-E-N-K-A-U-F.com. So, your new book. Um, why, what motivated, what was the motivation behind this book? Well, I, I decided to write about this. Uh, first of all, there was a lot of, um, high-profile stories in the news about babies um, who are abandoned at birth and the terrible things that happened to them. But I was also listening to a radio program, and they were talking about the ancient foundling wheel, and that was a term I had never heard before. And I came to learn that um, back in the, the early church in Italy, in Rome, the Pope at the time in the 12th century was very disturbed because so many babies were being tossed into the Tiber River. And, of course, he was very disturbed by this and decided to construct what he called foundling wheels, which are these turnstile-type contraptions built into the walls of convents where a a woman could anonymously lay her child, turn the turnstile, and the baby would end up on the other side um, to be taken care of by the nuns. And and from there, uh, modern safe haven laws were created, and I just thought that was a very interesting idea, interesting concept, 
And from there, I decided to write about a little boy who's left at an Iowa safe haven site during modern times. And this, but this story is a novel. This is not a true story, or is it based on a true story? It, it is. It's a novel. It is mm-hmm. fictional. But you know, there have been so many um, terrible stories in the news about um, babies that were not taken care of at birth and left to to perish. Um, and yeah, there was one just recently, and that's why, as a social worker, obviously very interested in this because social worker are social workers are involved with um, those who take and I say advantage in a good way, of the safe haven laws. But there, in Fort Myers, Florida, uh, there was a woman who just recently, I think in January, who gave birth to a very healthy baby boy and didn't take advantage of this safe haven law. And the baby, they found the baby dead, just wrapped in a plastic bag. Yes, in a, in a heavily wooded area, they did. And, um, you know, unfortunately for both, of course, for the baby and, and for the woman, there, there's help out there. There are resources in just about every state. Um, a woman can anonymously um, take her baby to a, an identified safe haven site, which varies from state to state, um, and give her baby to somebody who can take care of, of the child and not be in fear of being charged with any kind of crime as long as you know, the baby up to that point was taken care of. And it, and it's, it really is a shame because there are resources out there for both children and, and women. So what are we talking about in terms of numbers? Do we know what those numbers are? I mean, are there, I mean, I know that each state, as you say, mm-hmm. all the states have similar laws, safe haven laws for mothers and, and their newborns. They're somewhat different. It's, it's state by state, I guess, based on the state statute. Yes. And, yeah. Um, it, you know, for numbers of, of children, it's very hard to um, pinpoint the actual number of children who've been um, saved by Safe Haven. Um, I've heard numbers up to over a thousand um, children, but states vary in how they they take those numbers in and compile those st- statistics. Um, but I think because of these you know terrible stories in the news, um, states are working much more working harder to get the information about safe haven laws out to the public. There was just another situation in California just this past week where a 17-year-old young girl um, gave birth to a premature baby and ended up ended up killing that child, um, and it was arrested for first-degree murder. And she had hidden the, the pregnancy from her family. And um, California does have a safe haven law where if she would have simply gone to the hot, I say simply, I know it's never easy. If she had um, reached out, there would have been um, help for her. Yeah, and that's California, obviously a yeah. state with a huge population. New York State is another one. Um, and they just changed their laws recently in 2010 because in 2000, um, uh, a parent was could, aban- they say, abandon a newborn baby up to 30 days of age without uh, without any without fear um, that was that was just changed in 2010 because before that I think it, you had to do it within the first five days of, of the child's life right and yes. there are yeah examples throughout the United States where it can be um, like California it's three days the baby it can be up to three days old and it varies from state to state and we know that there are women out there and families who aren't prepared to take care of a child, and it becomes very overwhelming. And um, they don't always know where to turn for help, but the, the help is out there through hospitals, through fire stations often. Um, sometimes um, religious affiliations, churches will 
um, take a child in, but it's really important to uh, check your your state's laws. And it's easy to do now because with the internet. So young women, if they find themselves in this kind of a situation, I mean, you can go online. I mean, the New York law, the it's, which is referred to um, as the Abandoned Infant Protection Act, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to read it. Just it's kind of just reiterating. What you've just said, a parent is not guilty of a crime if the infant is left with an appropriate person or in a suitable location and the parent promptly notifies an appropriate person of the infant's location. A hospital staff, police, or fire station are examples of safe and suitable choices, which you mentioned. And I guess also uh, religious... It it doesn't say that in... It it, it depends from state to state. So that's Uh why you're right. It's very important that the message get out for each individual state. There's another great website. It's called the National org, And that has, on its homepage, has a map of the the 50 states. And you can click on your state and find out um, exactly what um, the most recent um, laws are in your area and where you can safely relinquish your child. Now, we're talking about a parent, or at least it says a parent in this law, in the New York law. Does a parent refer to a father who may be involved, or is it just the mother, or how does that work? Um, It depends, once again, um, from state to state, and that's defined in each of the the different legislations. But um, somebody else who is, um, as long as it's okay with the mother, is equally okay to drop off a child. Um, you know, the concern often comes in if a mother chooses to do this, what about father's rights, and which is a very big issue. And the, the courts are very careful about following protocols for that. Um, they advertise in the newspaper or through the courts, um, seeing if anybody is looking for the child, and they give opportunities for um, people to step forward and um, work through the system. So if a child is wanted by by the father. It, it can be worked out. I imagine with the new, it's not so new anymore, but with DNA testing, I mean, you have to go through that because you have to, in order to prove that he is the father. Sure, yes. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, the initial purpose for Safe Haven is to protect a baby um, in its most vulnerable moments. And, of course, um, the family rights are very important, and each state does address that in different ways, but we we want families to stay together. That is always the goal, but we want to keep children safe. Yeah. So that, that's the that's the primary goal, keep these babies safe and keep them alive, and there is a place for them, a safe haven. Um, my curiosity is, I mean, you've become involved in this in a big way. How have, what, what specifically do you do? Have you done, I mean, I know you've, you've written this book, Are there? Uh, and you live in Iowa? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes. You know, I, I, this has been a wonderful forum for me to uh, talk about um, these issues. I am an educator. I'm a teacher. Um, I work with children um, every day and with schools. And, you know, I, you see families in crisis, and you want to help them. And this is just another way of getting resources to families and people who are in trouble. And um, I, I like to help all kinds of children, and, and this was one way that I can do it. I talk a lot on the radio. Um, I, I talk with um, newspapers and, and so on. So it's through my writing primarily, but it's been a great forum to be able to talk about keeping kids safe. And Heather, you say that you are a teacher. Are you a high school teacher, or what levels do you teach? I am. Well, cur- I, 
um, am trained as an elementary teacher, and currently I'm an, a literacy coach for our school district. So I work with different schools um, with curriculum on reading and um, creating plans and working with schools to help children become better readers. Have you seen an increase? I mean, in um, well, I hope they're becoming better readers, but uh, unfortunately I think the statistics, I mean, I don't know how it is in Iowa, but I do know how it is in New York State and even some of the national statistics aren't too good in terms of our literacy. But have you seen a increase in, in young women, in, say, in your school system or in the ones that you're familiar with? I mean, you do a lot of public speaking of uh, teen pregnancies, unwanted pregnancies. You know, I think it, it's a concern in every community. Um, we, I happen to live in a very strong community-oriented um, area, and that children are, you know, a huge focus in our community. And, but you know, you hear the stories just recently, and I can't remember where it was at, but there was a um, school somewhere where a huge percentage of the senior high class was pregnant, and it, it was. I want to say like 30% of the, the girls there were. and I think that was in Massachusetts. Massachusetts. It was in the suburb of Boston. There, we, you know, we see a breakdown in the system in some way. There's, you know, the communication, the education, and, um, you know, and I think that's key. I think our families these days are so busy. We, you know, we work. We are involved in a lot of activities, and, our kids are involved in a lot of things that sometimes we don't take the time to stop and take a good look at our children and to see what they're going through and what they're up to. And we have to start early with families and keeping communication open with our kids. So these kinds of situations don't happen. Or if they do, they they come to a a better resolution. We're going to um, take a break right now. We are talking to Doc to Dr. to Heather Goodendorf. She's a teacher, teaches in Iowa, uh, best-selling author, New York Times, and her new book is already um, a best-selling good book, These Things Hidden, uh, which is available wherever books are sold. You can get them online or bookstores everywhere, and you can go to mirabooks.com. Don't go away because Heather and I have lots more to talk about. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? 
Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Um, you're listening to Heather Goodendorf. She's the author of These Things Hidden. She's my guest and a New York Times bestselling author. And this book is number, what did you say, 16 already? Number it 16. came out. It's yes, the New York yes. Times it's very exciting. It is. I mean, this is great. And you're a teacher and very much also, uh, for those who are just joining us, involved in the safe haven laws would have to do with uh, mothers who have unwanted newborn infants can take their babies to a safe haven, give them up, no questions asked, and um, I guess, you know, I would say in that case, Heather, all lives are saved. The mother's life and, and whoever she's, her family and the baby, and it's, um, it becomes a, a win-win situation. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, we can't discount um, the mothers who are going through this, and often young mothers um, who, you know, find themselves pregnant, not knowing what to do, don't feel like they have anywhere to turn to, and that in itself is very traumatic. And then in the fact that they're giving birth, oftentimes alone and in secret, um, it's very traumatic. And we just want people to know that there is help out there and there are resources. I think one of the things that happens to these young girls, they when they get pregnant, and that, this is my experience, you know, seeing some of these um, young girls in, in uh counseling as a therapist, as a social worker, is there's a lot of denial. They're pregnant and they can cover the pregnancy up for, you know, three, four, sometimes even close to five months, and they pretend that they're not pregnant until it's... And and um, I, I think that that whole issue of denial, and then they go through trying to hide the pregnancy, and then, of course, you know, the outcome is, and then they give birth, and and they're so terrified that they just kind of continue with this denial, you know, and why and, and, and not want to, to be responsible for what they have to do or what they should be doing with the baby. Do, do you think, does that make sense? It does, and you hear about that over and over. There was the, the girl a while back who went to her high school prom and then ended up giving birth in the, the bathroom. And, um, you know, and I think there are even reports of her saying that she just didn't really know what was happening. And I think we, you know, kids get themselves into situations. It's often easier not to deal with it, to, to keep it in the back of your mind and, and not in the forefront. And um, when, you know, the time to give birth comes, it is a very overwhelming and um, scary experience for those of us who've had support during that time and, you know, are welcoming it. So, yeah, I, I think that um, children are not young adults. Young teenagers are not equipped often to be put in those situations. 
I would say most of the time they're not equipped, the yes. young teenagers. Yes. <laughs> you probably could say yes. yeah, 99% of the time, I guess, which brings me to my next question, because you're not only an author and an advocate of the safe haven laws, but um, you're no, you are um, a teacher. Yes. So what can we do? I mean, kind of take it back a few steps as a teacher, as a social worker, to uh, in, in, in terms of education for these girls, for these young men, for these kids, children, you know, young adults. And I, and I even say that cautiously, but, um, you know, in terms of um, information and education about sexuality and birth and pregnancy and all that, and when do we start? When Because when, you say you teach elementary school. Well, you know, and that is, you know, can be a very tricky subject in, um, you know, public schools and and, and even uh, private schools. You know, when do we start and um, whose responsibility is that? Is it the parents' responsibility? Is it the school's responsibility? And what I think we're finding is that it's a team effort. We all need to work together to give our children the tools and the, the skills to, to make it in the world. And the number one... Um, thing I think we need to do is keep communication open with our kids and be involved and ask questions and let them know that they can come to you no matter what. All it takes is for one person to make a difference in a child's life. And if you can build that relationship, that bond with, with a child and let them know that you're there for them, a lot of this can, can be um, avoided. I think one of the other things when you say, you know, whose responsibility is it, parents, teachers, it's all our responsibilities, but maybe with different families it works differently and we have to accept that. There are some families that can't talk about sex, that don't even, that maybe don't even access the right kind of information. So hopefully the school can be available to, to, to do that because not all families are the same. You may have other families, uh, this is my experience as a social worker, who are well prepared. I mean, I thought I was well prepared. I had three boys. They had all the information. Right. The school came and said, can they go and listen to the sex ed classes? I said, sure, maybe you'll learn something else. Fine. But my kids really weren't the ones who actually needed it, uh, but there were children who did. So, Absolutely, uh, yes. yes. And that's why, you know, it is very important that we support our schools and we support legislation for funding of schools so we're able to keep um, all these great programs in place um, so we can can work with our kids. Yeah, because uh, if, if we don't do that, and, you know, those are the kinds of monies that we take away from the funding initially, I think we're ready to do that, but because it's kind of short-term and we don't see, you know, down the pike that uh, other things are going to happen unless we have these kinds of programs for the kids, sex education, um, very important. So we don't have these unwanted pregnancies, teen pregnancies. Right, and I think yeah. that another dangerous trend that we're seeing in, in schools or um, throughout the United States is, you know, the reduction of counselors in our schools. And when we need the counselors most um, available for our kids and, um, you know, those those very important individuals are, are being cut from school budgets and it, it Teachers and classroom teachers, and we all know how um, our day is filled, and we try to be there for our kids. But there are situations that come up where we need the expert, we need the school counselor to be able to pull that child aside and work with the child and the family in a way that classroom teachers do not have the resources to do. 
Yeah, or the time. Teachers the time. are there to teach. Exactly. You have a specific, you know, you have your subjects, you have, I mean, all, this is what you're supposed to be there for and not be a, a social worker or a counselor, but a teacher. And as you say, yeah, we have to work together. So I think it's really important to keep that in mind. Um, we have a couple minutes left. want to make sure that uh, listeners, again, know that they can buy your book anywhere, bookstores everywhere, online, and go to your website for more information about this book, other books you've written, and other work that you're doing. Yes, yes, yes. If readers would like to go to heathergoodenkoff.com, it talks about my first novel, uh, The Way to Silence, and my second, These Things Hidden, um, as well as other information about, about myself and, and my books. Uh, well, you're an amazing woman. Are you going to write another? Are you I am working next? on my third book. And, I knew you were. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it, it's going to deal with some tough subjects and um, dealing with schools and you know, I really think it will give um, people the opportunity to have some really good discussions. And and while my books, they you know, they do have some very heavy subjects. I, it is important to me um, to let readers know that there's a lot of hope infused without that throughout them. And one of my favorite lines from these things hidden is um, by one of the characters who says, "Meet the world with hope in your heart." And um, that's so true. We need to face each day with hope. Um, work together and and try to do what's best for our kids. Yeah. I think and you're doing that and I think you have all the right experience. I mean, you you you're you have all the experience. Here you are a teacher, you're writing about these tough subjects. And I think first from as a social worker, you have to first accept that these these issues, these problems exist and then we can do something about it and we can be hopeful. But if we deny them, if we pretend they don't exist, um they're not going to go away and I think that's something that sometimes as a culture we, we we do that and uh, you know we, we don't want to talk about this stuff but you're talking about it in a very responsible way and we thank you yes well i appreciate it and thank you very much great great having you on the show today these things hidden heather goodenkoff and you can go to heathergoodenkoff.com for more information i'm katherine zox your social worker with a microphone you've been listening to the katherine zox show on voiceamericavariety.com and world talk radio have a great day and we'll see you next week we hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine zox show you can listen live every thursday morning at 7 a.m pacific time on the voice america channel want to know more about Catherine? visit her website at www.catherinezox.com be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine zox Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.